spanning the globe to bring you the constant variety of sports. The thrill of victory and the agony of defeat. The human drama of athletic competition. This is ABC's Wide World of Sports. How many of you remember that? <laughs> that is when you can date yourself, right? Like, what's that? <laughs> right, I know. Every time I think of something, I'm like, oh my gosh. But uh, today, we're going to be talking about the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat from a biblical perspective, right? Uh, from, from what happened in the people of Israel, from what we see as they've crossed over the Jordan and then they're going to face a, a great victory and then also some uh, glaring defeat or an agony of defeat. Um, you know, this whole series idea has been unstuck, trying to move forward to maturity. In other words, to get out of where we've been, to get out of the monotonous things that are going on, get out of the wilderness that maybe you've wandered in to begin to move toward maturity, to begin to move to where God wants you to be. And listen, we all need to be taking the next step to grow. As a matter of fact, we were supposed to have some baptisms today, but we had some individuals get sick, so we're not doing that today. We'll hopefully be doing that next week. But listen, every step that we take leads to growth. Every step we take leads to growth. Sometimes through defeat, we learn, or through failure, we learn, through difficulties, we learn, and as we learn, we begin to grow and mature as a result of those. So I want to give you the context. We're going to be in Joshua chapter 6 and chapter 7. Now, some of you who know the Bible will know that Joshua chapter 6 is all about Jericho, and I can spend a whole section of time just on this idea of how the, uh, the people conquered Jericho and how the walls fell and things like that. We're going to reference a little bit of that, but we're going to spend a majority of our time in Joshua chapter 7. And I want to give you the context. Last week, we looked at Joshua chapter 3 and chapter 4, where we saw the Israelite people. They crossed over from the wilderness. They crossed over the Jordan on dry ground. You remember? The ark went. They were told to follow at a distance. So to keep in mind the reverence and holiness of God, they followed a distance. But then they set up the altar, right? They were told they got 12 men, one from each tribe. They went back in, they dug the stones out, they picked the stones up, and they set up an altar to remember God's deliverance across the Jordan. And that plays a picture just like we saw with the Red Sea, just like we see in baptism in life, is a crossover from death to life. It's a crossover from in slavery and walking in a monotonous relationship into the life that God has for the people, and he's going to deliver them. And then we get to Joshua chapter 5, and if you were to read Joshua chapter 5, what you're going to find out in that time is that in Joshua, the beginning of, of chapter 5, it says that all the kings of that area were fearful because God had delivered the people across the Jordan River on dry ground, and now they're all afraid of what's going to happen. They know that God has just done a supernatural thing. Now imagine how that plays out, right? Like if you were living in the land and you heard that God had stopped the waters, they had built up back upstream, it cut off the flow. Do you think everybody knew that? And if they didn't, they found out pretty darn quick, right? Like it was, it was well-traveled, well, 
well-versed. They had heard of what's going on. And so in, in that section in chapter 5, we see that they begin to fear. And, in, and then it says, listen, their hearts melted. In chapter 5, verse 1, their hearts melted and they no longer had the courage to face the Israelites. It's important for us to keep this in mind, right? When God works in our life, that the things and the obstacles that we overcome as a result of God's supernatural work in our lives may lead to fear in other people because, listen, they can't begin to understand or explain it. All they know is what the heck has gone on. This guy is different. They've changed. They've crossed over. They've gone in a different direction. The rest of chapter five is about the Israelite people being circumcised. So if you remember, the 40 years in the wilderness, they weren't doing that, but these people now are going to be circumcised, prepared to move forward. God circumcises the heart in new believers today. And then we get to chapter six. And in chapter six, we see the story of the defeat of Jericho, right? And then we come to chapter seven. And so I'm going to start in chapter seven. We're going to reference back to multiple verses in chapter five and chapter six. But it says this, as a result, or after Jericho has fallen, chapter 7, it says the Israelites acted what? What? Unfaithfully. All right? So Joshua chapter 7, verse 1, it says the Israelites acted unfaithfully in regard to the devoted things. Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of these devoted things. So the Lord's anger burned against Israel. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon, to the east of Bethel, and told them to go up, spy out the region. So the men went up and spied out. And when they returned to Joshua, they said, not all the people will have to go against Ai. Send two or 3,000 men to take it, and do not weary all the people, for only a few men are there. So about 3,000 men went up, but they were routed by the men of Ai, who killed about 36 of them. They chased the Israelites from the city gate as far as the stone quarries and struck them down on the slopes. And at this, the hearts of the people melted and became like water. Then Joshua tore his clothes, fell face down to the ground before the ark of the Lord, remaining there until evening. And the elders of Israel did the same, and they sprinkled dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Sovereign Lord, why... Did you ever bring this people across the Jordan to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? If only we had been content to stay on the other side of the Jordan. You hear what's going on? Joshua, the leader, is now questioning God. Joshua, the leader, is now going, well, Lord, why the heck? You, you, just, you just let us out here, and now all of a sudden you're going to defeat us, right? If only we had been content to stay on the other side of the Jordan O Lord, what can I say now that Israel has been routed by its enemies? The Canaanites and the other people of the country will hear about this, and they will surround us and wipe out our name from the earth. What then will you do for your own great name? Verse 10, the Lord said to Joshua, stand up. What are you doing down on your face? Israel has sinned, and they have violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. And they have taken some of the devoted things, and they have stolen they have lied and they have put with their own possessions. That is why the Israelites not, cannot stand against their enemies. They turn their backs and run because they have been made liable to destruction. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. Father, we pray today that you would speak to us through your word and that God, we would make 
much of you and understand the reality that sin is important to deal with and that, Lord, you want to work in great ways. You want to lead us in victory, but you will not allow those things to stay within our lives that are going to lead to the defeat of your own church. And so, Lord, we pray you speak to us again today. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. When we talk about this idea, I want you to think about what we just saw, the thrill of of victory and the agony of defeat. As I thought about this whole idea of the ABC Wild World of Sports, and again, I'm kind of dating myself. I can remember at times it was on after school, and then I remember when it started coming on on Saturday mornings, like there was cartoons and it was ABC Wild World of Sports. And I always remember that picture right there, that, that video, right? The skier skiing down the, 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 the jump that he's going to hit for the, for the ski jump and wiping out. And I remember thinking, oh man, that had to hurt, <laughs> right? Like, I mean, that guy, he is cruising down there, loses control, and as he loses control, launches off the ramp sideways. And then I think about, in like today's context, and how the ski jumps are all set up. Like if you were to watch the Olympics in the ski jumps, could you imagine somebody wrecking off the side of those now? Because it sure seems like they're a lot bigger. They're a lot worse. That launch is completely different. So to see somebody launch off that side, I'm not so sure that the person would even make it. And here's what's crazy about that. That guy that fell, you can go home and you can look it up, like a great ski jumper, but at the same time, the effects of having that played out in his life consistently, think about this, every week, that was the kickoff, every week, it was this thrill of victory and the agony of defeat, and that's exactly what the Israelite people faced right here. They have crossed the Jordan. After the crossing of the Jordan, they go in, and because of the supernatural work of God, the walls of Jericho fall down because they walked in obedience. But after the walls of Jericho had fallen, the people went in, and as a result of going in, they were told to keep everything for the Lord that was to be set aside for the Lord. And one individual, just one, one individual decides to take those things to, to take a thing, and he's going to take it back to his tent. And as a result of that one individual, the Israelite people now face destruction. They face defeat. And here's where a lot of times people begin to have problems with the Bible, right? Like people who are outside begin to go, well, I don't like this because there's a lot of death and destruction and killing and, and, and God's setting up people to go in and wipe out other people and there's things like this. Listen, it's important for us to understand that God takes sin very seriously. Very seriously. Even in our own lives today. And that's why last week when I talked about it, listen, you can hide it from me, you can hide it from others within the church, but God knows. And that's exactly what we see play out here in Joshua chapter 7. This man held it from everybody else. Joshua didn't know about it. The other elders didn't know about it. The rest of the people of Israel didn't know about it. But him and his family, they knew about it. And as a result, Israel suffers, this family suffers, And there's this agony of defeat. Listen, when I say this, spiritual maturity is a lifelong pursuit that is not reached by passing of years, but by obedience to the will of God. 
Spiritual maturity does not come as a result of you sitting in church for 60 years and not walking in obedience. Spiritual maturity comes as a result of you pursuing God day in and day out in obedience, regardless of how old you are. As a matter of fact, I would say it this way. If you are older, you should have years of spiritual maturity going because you've been pursuing God longer and you've been obedient to his word. But here's also one of the struggles that I believe we oftentimes face within the church. We didn't pursue spiritual maturity. We allowed us or people within the church allow themselves to live out their faith through the lives of everybody else within the church. That's great for them. They're growing. That's good. That's good. But I'm not going to deal with all of these struggles. See, Christians who neglect the Bible simply do not mature. It's never going to happen. As long as you choose to neglect reading God's word, as long as you choose to neglect obeying God's word, as long as you choose to continue to go in the opposite direction, you will never spiritually mature. It's never gonna happen. No matter what you try. See, the Bible is the divine means of developing spiritual maturity. There is no other way. And so when we come to texts like this, we have to begin to ask this question. Number one, what did it mean originally? Number two, what does it mean for me today and how do I begin to apply it and live my life as a result of that? Okay, so we learn the context of scripture to say, what did it mean originally? And I think it's very obvious what it meant originally, right? There is thrill and victory as you see a supernatural deliverance of God delivering the people and into the town of Jericho where the walls were impregnable, and then there's this agony of defeat as a result of the sin of one individual. So here's the big idea today. If you remember anything else, I want you to remember this. God will carry us to victory, but sin leads to defeat for the church. Keep that in mind. God will carry us to victory but sin leads to defeat for the church. In other words, we have to keep this at the forefront of our mind, that God wants the church to be successful. God said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prosper, will not prevail. In other words, the gates of hell cannot defeat you. But when I allow sin in my life and the church allows sin to continue to move on and move forward within the life of the church, then that's going to lead to defeat. So we're gonna unpack this in a number of ways today for us to understand how we continue to grow in maturity. So here's the question today. How do I deal with victory and defeat? Number one is this. I want to remember the commander of God's army. Now, the reason why I bring that up is if you go back to chapter 5, in the end of chapter 5, verse 13, it says this, now when Joshua was near Jericho, this is after the Israelites have been circumcised, the kings are all afraid, and it says in verse 13, now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand, and Joshua went up to him and asked him, are you for us or for our enemies? Now, I want you to understand and pay attention to what goes on because listen to the response that the Lord says. What does he say? Neither. 
Neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servants? Here is what we have to do. When we remember this idea of the commander of the Lord's army, we have to understand that it is the promises of God that led the people of God to this point in the first place. God promised to deliver him from the Exodus, right? God promised to deliver him from slavery. He leads him across the Red Sea. They lead to sin. Sin leads to them wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. God promises Joshua, Joshua, I'm going to have you lead the people across the Jordan River into the promised land. I'm going to deliver you everywhere you set your foot. That's going to be your territory. You guys are going to own it. He does it. He delivers them right across the the Jordan River on dry land, right? And now they come to this point where everybody's running in fear and Joshua stands there or sees this angel of the Lord holding a drawn sword. Now I think it's important to remember or understand what he says here. Are you for us or are you against us? And what does he say? Neither. In other words, he says, I am about my business that my business is primary, that the way I lead is the way it's going to go, that what I want to accomplish is always preeminent. So when we keep this in mind, we always have to keep in mind, God, what do you want? God, what do you desire in my life? God, what do you have for me? Now, there's this beautiful picture that we see all throughout the Old Testament, and it's this showing of God showing up, or, or, or these visions of God showing up. See, God promised the people they'd be given the land, right? God promised Abraham he would take him to a new area. God promised Moses that he was going to have the people or or that he was going to lead the people out. All of these promises come out, and what we see here is this, that Jesus is the commander of God's army. And so all throughout the Old Testament, we have these things called theophanies or Christophanies. Anybody ever heard that word? I don't usually use them very much, okay? This is a very big word. But what they are is there are pictures of Jesus before he was born, incarnated as man. So when Moses has his vision with the burning bush, it is a Christophany of Jesus telling Moses what's going to happen. When when uh, Jacob is going to, uh, or sorry, yeah, when, when the sacrifice, <laughs> sorry, when we're good, the sacrifice is about to take place, right? And there's this vision where he says the Lord came to him and said, don't sacrifice Isaac. Do not sacrifice Isaac. This is a Christophany of Jesus. All throughout the Old Testament, we see these different things where the angel of the Lord shows up and it's this pre-incarnate Christ that shows up to point the people in the right direction. And listen, here's the beautiful picture that I believe plays out in this. Because Joshua asked this question, basically, are you for the Israelites or are you for other people? And he says, neither. And here's the beauty of Jesus. See, Jesus didn't die just for the Jewish people. Jesus didn't die just for the Israelites. Jesus died for the Israelites the Jewish people, and the Gentiles as well. And a Gentile was everybody who wasn't Jewish, who wasn't an Israelite. And so there's a beautiful picture plays out that Jesus says, no, listen, it's beyond just the Israelites. I'm about my business, and my business is primary. 
And so when we talk about this idea of this thrill of victory, how do I deal with victory? I remember the commander of God's army. I always look to Jesus, always ready to go. See, Abraham, when he was going to sacrifice Isaac, and I think I said Isaac and Jacob, I'm sorry, my mind's going crazy, saw that played out in the bush. Moses in the burning bush, right? Jacob, when he wrestles with the angel of the Lord, was wrestling with this Christophany, this pre-incarnate Christ that shows up. In other words, it's important for us to understand a lot of people think, well, Jesus didn't show up until he was born. No. If you remember Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and void, right? And the spirit hovers over the waters, and then it says that when God created, he what? Spoke. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. We see the Trinity evident from Genesis 1 all throughout the Old Testament and played out finally when Jesus comes incarnation to become man, born of a virgin. And so it's important to understand that we always look to the commander of God's armies because Jesus is the one who commands all things because all creation was created by him and for him. That nothing was created that was not created without his power and authority. So how do I deal with victory? I always remember Christ. Christ crucified, Christ resurrected, and Christ ascended. That he is on the throne and he is in control of all things. Number two, I have to follow God's directions. And please, when if you, if you write this down, write specifically. I follow God's directions specifically. Right? Like, I don't know about you, but I, I realized fairly young age that when my dad asked me to do something, he didn't just care that it got done. He wanted it done in a very precise way. Like for me, and I would probably venture to say my son would tell you the same thing. When I mowed a lawn, I would be like, yeah, that's good enough. We're done. No, no. My dad was like, no, 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 no. You weed eat first. Then you mow. Then you blow everything off. And my son will tell you, because we just had a conversation on Friday, you weed eat first, you mow, then you blow the sucker off, okay? <laughs> All right? That was my dad's directions. They were specific, because we wanted the yards to look a certain way. And listen, if I was to mow your lawn, that's the way it would have played out when I was a teenager. But I follow God's directions specifically. If you look at Joshua chapter 6, starting in verse 1, it says this. Now Jericho was tightly shut up because the Israelites, in other words, all of Jericho's afraid. Keep in mind chapter five. So it's shut up tightly. They're not letting anyone in. No one went in, no one came out. Then the Lord said to Joshua, see, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have all the people give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the people will go up, every man straight in. So then, verse 6 says, Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests and said, take up the ark of the covenant. And he gives them all of these orders. Now, I believe there's something to be said here about the specificity of what God's saying here. God says, I have a very specific plan, and I want you to follow directions. 
Now, we can ask every type of question under the sun as to why. Why did he do that? I can't sit here and tell you. There's all kinds of, 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 of conjectures we can make. Oh, seven is the perfect number, so that's why seven on the seventh day. There's all kinds of things that we can begin to draw in. But what I believe is this, that God is trying to make a statement. If you'll obey me in the details, I will deliver in everything else. When I walk in obedience in the small things, then I can overcome the large things through the power of God. Because God wants to deliver you in, through, or over the obstacles you face. And right now, this whole idea of going into this Jericho city, these walls that were impossible to breach, I read in some areas, they said the walls in some areas were potentially 18 feet thick. 18 feet. Now, for those of you who like, just know anything about our church, go downstairs, and we have an 18-inch thick concrete wall downstairs that when it came time to do some construction, they're like, well, we might have to core drill this. And I'm like, oh my gosh, who wants to drill through 18 inches of concrete? And parts of the walls of Jericho were 18 feet thick, not inches. And listen, there's all kinds of reasons and ruminations about why these, these, these walls fell. Some say, oh, there was a supernatural earthquake, maybe. Some say it was the vibration of the horns playing the loud music, maybe. The simple fact remains this, God did it. God is the one who did it as a result of the obedience of the Israelite people. So when we follow God's direction specifically, then I can begin to understand or then I see the deliverance of God in the supernatural ways. But listen, listen to what ends up taking place because it's important for us to understand that it took the obedience of all the people in order to accomplish it. Because it wasn't just the priests who went out and walked around the city. It was the priests followed by all the Israelites. So listen, when we begin to kind of apply this to our lives as a church, to our lives as the body of Christ, it is important for us to understand that it takes everybody. That everybody has a role and a part to play. I mean, we can jump to 1 Corinthians 12. We can look at Romans chapter 10 and 12 and things like that where it talks about everybody's gifted in certain ways. But listen, it takes everybody as a church to accomplish God's purpose and God's mission that we all work together in obedience to what God has called, keeping our eyes on the commander of the Lord's army. So I follow God's directions specifically. And that's exactly what happens in Jericho and in the rest of Joshua chapter 6. It says that the people obeyed. And so in verse 15, it jumps to there and it says, on the seventh day, they got up at daybreak, they marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except that on that day, they circled the city seven times. And the seventh time around, when the priest sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the people, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. The city and all that is in it are to be devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall be spared because she hid the spies away. It's important for us to understand that right here, what we see is the obedience of God's people 
all the way throughout the situation. In order to be delivered, in order to overcome the obstacle that stood before them, they had to walk in obedience. And here, I believe, is a factor that we have to understand. Some of us have massive obstacles in our way. Some of us are trying to walk through life and we're trying to walk through life in reality, we're doing it with no power, with no authority, because we're trying to do it on our own. And here's the struggle. You do it on your own and you'll never succeed. If the people of Israel would have attempted to take on Jericho by themselves, they most likely would have been wiped out. Impossible to breach. A fortified city with soldiers and everything ready to go, and instead they relied upon the power of God to deliver them, and they followed his directions specifically. Listen, God works supernaturally in the lives of his people when they obey him in the details. And so where you may say, it's not that big a deal, God may say, oh, it is. When you're faithful with the small things, I put you in charge of bigger things. But when you're unfaithful and disobedient in the small things, don't expect my deliverance because you've turned and you've walked away from me. So how do we deal with victory and defeat? Number one, we remember the commander of God's army. Number two, we follow God's direction specifically. Number three, we have to be aware of areas of weakness and sin. Now, I'm going to warn you right now that this is probably going to step on toes, including mine, because I believe that all scripture is God-breathed, and it's useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in all righteousness. But we have to, as a church, as a people, as a group of followers devoted to Jesus, we have to be aware of our weaknesses and the sins that so easily entangle us. Look at Joshua chapter 6, verse 18. And I told you we would jump through a number of these things. But listen, they go into Jericho. They are told they can go into Jericho. They're going to destroy the city. They're going to lay everything to waste. And in verse 18, it says, but you keep away from the devoted things so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you will make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. All the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into his treasury. Now listen when I say this. When we talk about being aware of weaknesses and sin, we want to begin to unpack and see what's going on. See, the city and its contents were to be given to the Lord. It's this idea of first fruits. It's the idea that we see played out in tithing. It's the idea that we see all throughout the Old Testament that when a harvest took place, that the people gave the first tenth, the best tenth, to the Lord. And here's what's crazy. Jericho was set aside to be devoted to the Lord, that everything within was to be given to the Lord, devoted to him. And as a result of that devotion to him, as a a result of that first fruits, that God would deliver all the people of Israel in the future that he's going to lead them into a way that they could never begin to understand. And so here's what ends up happening, though. If you look at chapter 7, verse 1, which is what we read, we have Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, who was unfaithful and who had taken some 
of those devoted things. Now, let's kind of put this into context, right? He's most likely been wandering for quite a while. And he kind of thinks, well, heck, I deserve this. I worked hard. I sacrificed. I have done a lot of great things for the people of Israel, and so I'm going to take a little bit extra. You ever been there? Right? You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> like, look, I don't need, I'm not going to hold back. I'm going to take this. And so what we see is a moment of indiscretion leads to some great trouble within the people of Israel. See, the contents of Jericho were that first fruits, right? And just as the first fruits of the crop were given to the Lord, and it pointed to more crops that were going to be available and grown, so the conquest of Jericho, I believe, signified that Israel would receive all of Canaan. Not just Jericho, but all of Canaan. But what we see in verse 4 of chapter 7, it says this idea that they, overconfidence in ourselves leads to a lack of leaning on the Lord, and that's what happens. Because look at what happens in verse 4. About 3,000 men went up, but they were routed by the men of Ai. And here's what we see. Those men were overconfident in themselves because they didn't know about the sin that was going on in the people of Israel or within that one individual within the people of Israel. So they went out, they spied, but they didn't necessarily lean on the Lord. They didn't seek the Lord because I believe that the Lord at some point would have said, hey, you got some problems. You got some sin in the camp. Instead, they just said, hey, we don't need everybody. We're just going to send a smaller portion in. They're going to go in. They're going to rout these people. There's not that many people out. And what we see is we see Israel basically tucking tail and running, right? You don't take a knife to a gunfight. And that, in reality, is what they did. They walked in and got their butts handed to them. It's like the underdog, like Appalachian State yesterday, right? Beating Texas A&M. <laughs> okay. It's the underdog walks in and just thumps a team that's ranked in the top 10. And that's exactly what ends up happening. Israel tucks tail. They got to run. And as a result, they start to question, including Joshua. Joshua, the leader of everything, is beginning to question. And so here's... This big idea, when we talk about being aware of the areas of weakness and sin, you cannot sin in isolation, especially within the church. We succeed together, and we fail together. That's why it's important for us to understand that when I have sins and I have weaknesses, that I can understand that I can go to people. That I first go to God and I confess him, but second, I can go to people. Man, I'm struggling with this area. It's not an expectation of perfection. It's an expectation of truthfulness. It's an expectation of being honest. So we're aware of the weaknesses in areas of sin. See, the temperature of one Christian can lower the temperature of the whole group. I mean, I could, I could bring up any pastor up here and tell you about what sin does within the church, especially when one person comes in and says, I don't care. I don't care about anybody else. I only care about myself. And they can wreak havoc within a church because we allow sin and selfishness to, to rise to the top. And listen, here's what plays out. In Joshua chapter seven, when they approach Achan, and this is gonna be number four, 
Number four is that they deal with sin honestly. How do I deal with victory and defeat? We remember the commander of God's army. In other words, we keep our eyes on Jesus. Number two, we follow God's directions very specifically. We walk in obedience. Number three, we are aware of weaknesses and sin in our own lives. I'm not asking you to look externally at everybody else. We want to deal with the sin internally in ourselves. But number four, we deal with sin honestly. See, sin is desperately contagious. To compromise with evil is dangerous and it invites spiritual disaster. It invites destruction and that's what we see in this text. Look at verse 16. It says, early the next morning, chapter 7, verse 16, Joshua had Israel come forward by tribes and Judah was taken. And the clans of Judah came forward and he took the Zerahites and he had the clan of the Zerahites come forward by families and Zimri was taken. And Joshua had his family come forward man by man and Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah was taken. And then Joshua said to Achan, my son, listen to this, this is compassion. Give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel and give him the praise. Tell me what you have done and do not hide it from me. Who already knew? The Lord already knew. Now he asks Achan, you got to spill the beans, dude. What are you struggling with? And listen, verse 20, Achan replied, it is true. I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel, and this is what I have done. When I saw in the plunder a beautiful robe from Babylonia, 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and I took them. Now listen, here's what plays out. Genesis chapter three. Eve first saw, then coveted, and then what? Took it. It's sin. It's the nature and beast of sin. And so when we talk about this idea of dealing with sin honestly, he spills the beans and he says, it is true. I am a sinner. I did sin. And that is a grave misfortune here. Now listen, all throughout the Old Testament, when you read, you're gonna see things like this because what we end up seeing is that Achan and his entire family are killed. And a lot of people go, I just have no excuse. There's no exception whatsoever. God doesn't love them. Listen, Every bit of this is a result of sin. There are consequences to sin. It doesn't say that God sent them to hell. It doesn't say that they were eternally separated. It doesn't say that God rejected them. It says that their consequence of sin was death. Ouch. And so we see Achan and his family is killed. And everybody goes, well, that's just an unloving God. No, that's a righteous God. And it's it's our unrighteousness that leads out to that. And that is why when I say this, that when we deal with sin honestly, are there still gonna be consequences? Yes. Are there still things that we've gotta deal with? Yes, but listen, it is always better to deal with God honestly and forthrightly because he already knows. And so in chapter seven, Verse 16 through 22, we see that played out. And listen, he he even says, they're hidden in the ground inside my tent with silver underneath it. 
So we have to deal with sin honestly. He saw, he coveted, he took, just like Eve did. But listen, if you fall before the Lord in dependence, not independent from, but independence, you won't have to fall before the Lord in defeat. Independence of God on everything. That God, when I'm dealing with sin, I go to him. Listen, there, this is a holy reaction to an unholy action that took place here. We see it all throughout the Old Testament. We even see it in the New Testament in Acts chapter 5. There's a couple, Ananias and Sapphira, who had sold some field and said they were going to give all the money to the Lord, but they decided to keep it back, keep some of it back, even though they were telling everybody else they'd given it all. And Ananias and Sapphira were brought before the disciples, and the disciples questioned them and say, hey, is this what you paid for the field? Yep, that's what we paid for the field. And they lie to cover up their sin. Because they said they were going to do something, but then they backed out. And as a result, Ananias and Sapphira both fall dead. Now, it doesn't say they went to hell. It doesn't say they were separated from Christ eternally or separated from God eternally. What it said was that there was a consequence for their sin. And that consequence for sin is death. What we see in Romans chapter 6. In Romans chapter 3. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is what? Eternal life. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And are justified freely by the grace that is given in Christ Jesus. So we deal with sin honestly. See, I believe that this sends a message to God's people. When we think about it, there was a, a, a priest who was coming down, his name was Uzzah, and as he's coming down, the ark is being brought back to Jerusalem, and the ark starts to rock, and Uzzah reaches out to stop it, and anybody know the rest of the story? He dies. And you're like, wow, that's pretty harsh. It's sin. It doesn't say that Uzzah was eternally separated from God. It was just the result of sin. And as a result of sin, listen, that we see all throughout the Old Testament and New Testament, there is a consequence with sin, and it's called death. See, under the Old Covenant, the holiness of God required certain responses to sin. Under the New Covenant, there is a response to sin that Jesus deals with. Because Jesus' death on the cross carried the weight and the burden of the sins of all mankind. That when he died on the cross, that he carried those sins to the cross and his shed blood, listen, is the very thing that forgives us, is the very thing that makes us right, is the very thing that washes us white as snow. The blood of Jesus shed on the cross for the sins of all mankind. The mystery of the body of Christ is in this. That is why the church should always deal with sin first with God and then within the body. Now, I have to say this because I want to say this in a very kind and compassionate way, but in the past, churches do not practice church discipline very well. In other words, we don't deal with sin within the camp in a good way most of the time. And it's usually this, when somebody is walking in sinful disobedience openly, honestly, and saying, I don't care what you say, you're supposed to love me and not judge me, hogwash. From a biblical perspective, Go read 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Like a believer, a follower of Jesus to walk in open disobedience to God and be called on the carpet by other believers and then say, you don't judge me? No, 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 no. That's not at all the context of Scripture. 
The context of scripture, judge not lest you be judged, is that you're not judging people on the exterior outside the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 makes it very clear that we look at each other and we call each other and we hold each other accountable. So I'm saying this from this application standpoint, and I want you to understand that the sin of one within the church can bring down the temperature of the church drastically and hinder the movement of the church forward into victory and instead to walk into defeat. It is important that each of us, listen, take our own sins seriously and deal with them honestly within ourselves so that corporately we can all come together and celebrate and watch God deliver us. Because listen, the defeat of the church comes not a result as a result of the power of Satan over Jesus. The defeat of the church comes as a result of the power of Satan working in our lives through sin that leads God to say, fine, you want it, have it. And please hear me out when I say this. We live in a time and in a culture that says, I don't care what the Bible says. If it feels good, you go ahead and do it. And that ain't scripture. Now, now that I've stepped on all your toes, including mine, I want you to understand this. Here's the beauty of the new covenant. Here's the beauty of Jesus' death on the cross. Here is the beauty of the priesthood of the believer. Here is the beauty of how God wants to work in his church, that he is faithful and just to forgive us of any and all unrighteousness, that when I go to the Lord and I confess to him the sins that I have in my life and the things that I struggle with, that he is faithful and just to forgive us of any and all unrighteousness. We can check our baggage at the foot of the cross and you can walk away and forgive it and walk into the promised land and you can overcome the obstacles because God wants to deliver you. Listen, the victory is all on the Lord. And I have said this from the get-go as your pastor, that I want people to look back and go, man, there's something great going on at Three Trails. Not because Brian's pastor, not because we got great worship, not because of anything else, but we can sit back and go, oh my gosh, God is working there because God is calling people to repentance. God is doing a great work through the gospel, that God is changing lives and changing marriages and changing hearts and redeeming addicts because that is what God does. God does the supernatural work that we oftentimes think we can do when you and I, I have no power to do that work. That is the beauty of the gospel played out. That is how the gospel progresses forward. That is how the church overcomes the obstacles and walks in victory, not defeat. When we deal with the sins internally, first individually, then corporately, so we can walk in victory. Now, I hope that's the encouragement part because I know there's a little bit of discouragement deep down in there because that's what Scripture oftentimes has to do. It has to discourage us from doing the wrong things. But listen, there is great hope and there is great expectation because we don't serve a dead Christ we serve a risen Christ. We serve a Christ who defeated all sin and all death on the cross, who walks in victory, who sits at the right hand of the Father on his throne and gives us victory through his power and, all, and his authority. Keep in mind, Matthew chapter 28, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. So listen, We've got the thrill of victory, right? And we all 
have been that skier going down the ski slope and suffering from the agony of defeat. But you don't have to stay trapped in defeat. You don't have to be reminded weekly of the defeat because you can walk in newness of life in Christ. Father, we pray today that you would be honored and glorified in decisions. God, if somebody has not made a decision to follow you, to place their trust and their faith in you, your shed blood on the cross, your death and your resurrection and then your eventual ascension to heaven, God, we, we want them to know that today. The Bible is very clear that where you are, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus the Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. But listen, there is also this aspect of dealing with sin. And so here's what we're gonna do today. If you've never followed Christ and you'd like to do that, you can fill out that connection card, get in touch with us, you can talk to me at the back of the sanctuary. But I want us also to look internally as a church. And I just want us to spend a couple minutes in prayer, just silently where you're at, asking God to reveal exactly what it is that you need to be honest about. Keep in mind, I don't know, just as Joshua didn't know about what was going on, but God knows. God knows what you're struggling with. God knows the sins and the struggles that you face, the things that you feel like you can't overcome, maybe even the things you feel like you have a right to. Just for a moment, pray and ask God to reveal that to you. God, we're a broken people. God, we say we want the promised land, but then when things get tough, it's oftentimes easier to say, God, can we just go back across the Jordan? We should have stayed over there. Not realizing that most of the time, really all the time, the reason we begin to question you is not because of you, but because of us because of our sins, because of the things that we think you should have delivered us from when we haven't even been honest with you in the first place. So Lord, maybe, maybe there's somebody dealing today with a heavy heart and a burden, a struggle, a mountain or an obstacle they just feel like they can't overcome and maybe they have been holding on to a sin and trying to hide it from everybody else, but you know. Would you just confess that to the Lord today? He knows. Don't hide it from him. Or don't think you can hide it from him. God, may we be a people who are set apart, who are different, who are holy, who follow you in the details, in the little things, because it's the little things that lead to the big things. It's the faithfulness in the small things that leads us to your faithfulness in the big things, and now you deliver us and help us conquer and overcome those insurmountable objects and obstacles. It's in Jesus' name I pray.
Amen.